How can you even defend a position you believe blindly or never even truly studied? Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses are not Christians. They believe in an entirely different Jesus, a Jesus that never even existed. Is your life here on earth meaningless and purposeless? Ask Bertrand Russell. He says that our existence here is pitiless indifference. Being in a Christian home makes your kids no more a Christian than them standing in the garage makes them a car. They need to hear the gospel of Christ and receive the free gift of salvation personally. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where we contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This episode is actually part of a four-part series out of my book that I publish, Investigating Lordship Salvation. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking into four passages that seem to have been misinterpreted and misapplied by many people out there. We're going to see these passages are misunderstood and actually irreconcilable with the grace-based salvation, which requires works to be evident to be a Christian or a genuine Christian. Through this four-part series, it's my hope and my prayer that we'll all see that the typical Reformed teaching of these passages are in fact in conflict with sola fide and sola gratia and not the correct interpretation. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm glad that you tuned in. If you could tell from the title of the episode, we're going to be looking at some Reformed positions. And if you hold to a Reformed theology or a Calvinistic theology, I would just encourage you just to just stick it out these next four episodes when we're talking about Lordship Salvation in four specific passages that you may or may not have heard being preached from a Reformed position. I encourage you just to stick through it. Leave me a comment uh, below if you disagree, why you disagree, whatever the case is. I just want to go ahead and explain some things as far as my position, why I believe in free grace salvation, why I believe in eternal security, why I believe that works isn't necessary for salvation, they're necessary for rewards. And so the first verse, first passage that we're actually going to look at is going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now it's fairly common to see that if you're, uh, or to hear that if you're not producing fruit in your life, then chances are you are not a Christian. You see, this statement here in Matthew 7, 19 and 20 has been misapplied to many people due to bringing really presuppositions to Scripture. By already believing in a preconceived theology in your head, you know, not trying to sound demeaning or demoralize or anything like that, but by bringing those presuppositions to Scripture, we're already presupposing that a genuine believer is going to have works seen through this litmus test. And by bringing those presuppositions to Scripture, it's natural to interpret this passage as such. But is that really what Jesus is trying to point out? Reading the passage by itself, every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Reading that passage by itself, outside of the context, does seem to point that a genuine Christian would be seen by their fruits, and if you don't have fruit in your life, then you're not a genuine Christian and you're in jeopardy of being sent to hell. That is common uh, to believe if you just take it out of the context. However, if we want to study scripture, we would do well to determine the context of which Jesus Christ is actually speaking here. And if we were to go back to verse 15, Jesus actually offers a warning. He says, beware of false prophets. So it is apparent that he's actually talking about false prophets or false teachers. Verses 15 through 23, there's the same thought and the same statement. 
It's only in verse 24 does Jesus sum up his entire sermon, and we can see this by the conjunctive adverb, therefore. Again, whenever we see the word therefore, always ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And pretty much, he's looking back into what he said, and then he's summarizing. So with this in mind, we have to understand the passage in order to interpret the verse. As the old adage goes, a text without context is a pretext. So first, what does the passage not say? The passage does not teach that the Christian is the good tree bringing forth good fruit. The passage does not say that the unbeliever is the corrupt tree bringing forth evil fruit for two reasons. First, in verse 18, Jesus says, a good tree cannot bear evil fruit. I would go on a limb and say that at some point in time, all of us Christians have borne evil fruit. Whether this is lusting, lying, hating, or anything else that displeases God, we see not only in personal experience but in Scripture that doing evil fruit, performing evil fruit, is actually possible in a believer's life. We can see this in Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 4 through 5. Also, the fact that a Christian can bear evil fruit is definitely seen in Paul's admonishment of trying to live godly lives. We see this in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, 5, 1, and 2, Galatians 5, 16, Ephesians 4, 31. As someone once said, Christians aren't sinless, but they sin less. And so, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. And so, if we're looking at this from a reformed position, this is saying a Christian cannot perform evil fruit. But we know that's not the case because Christians do things that are contrary to God's will and God's word. What does the passage mean then? The context of what Jesus is speaking about is regarding false prophets. So what is a false prophet? Simply put, a false prophet at that time was one who teaches or prophesies a message that is not in accordance with God's teaching. For example, anything that is contrary to what Jesus was preaching at that time. He's specifically actually calling out the religious leaders the other day in their emphasis on a works-based salvation. The false prophets in verse 15 are the ones represented by the corrupt tree in verses 17 and 18. This is actually seen in verse 16 where Jesus states that you will know them by their fruits. With the subject being, again, false prophets and their fruits identifying them. So the teacher, the tree represents a teacher who actually is either teaching the same message as Christ, which is a good tree, or a message contrary to the teaching of Christ, which is the corrupt tree. Therefore, a good tree, the teacher, a good teacher, will always produce good fruit because his teaching pre preaches the message of Christ. While the corrupt tree will always bear evil fruit because the false prophets, the false preachers, teachers, are teaching a message contrary to Christ, which is evidently evil fruit. The emphasis on the visible fruit is that one may know who the actual false prophet is, not the convert. We see that in Matthew 7, 16, and 20. You see, I love Zane Hodges draws a comparison of the Lord's rebuke here in Matthew 7, similar to Matthew 12. Jesus said in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and his fruit good, fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye be in evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, 
and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. See here, Zain Hajjah shows the similarities between the two passages, similarities of a tree and its fruit, with the tree in reference to the religious leaders who rejected the Messiahship of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom, and the fruit being their false message or their false teaching. And it's actually in verse 34 where Jesus makes the statement that the false teachers are speaking evil things, thereby identifying their fruit or their teaching as corrupt and making the tree or their teachers corrupt. Zane Hodges goes on to state that a false prophet must be tested by his message. And if he is inwardly corrupt and ravenous, this will stand revealed by the character and quality of his communications. So those in verses 21 and 22 that are denied entrance into heaven are not those believers who were not genuine, but rather it was those false teachers who presented a different Christ. This aligns perfectly with the aforementioned uh, six preceding verses because they spoke of a salvation that was not of the biblical Jesus. Those who claim to prophesy and do works in the name of Jesus were teaching and believing in a Jesus that does not save. A Jesus that is anything but the second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel, God with us. The false prophets are similar to those seen in the book of Acts in the seven sons of one Sceva, who trying to cast out a demon were beaten and fled out of the house naked and wounded in Acts chapter 19. So the question remains then, what is the will of my father in verse 21? That Jesus states must be done for one to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is where I believe Zane Hodges is on point in Grace and Eclipse. He points out that his will is for them to trust his son for eternal life. Jesus 640 clearly explains what Jesus meant regarding the Father's will. When he says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The false prophets in the passage were trusting in their own works to save them when they needed to trust in the Savior. So how do we apply this passage to our lives today? You see, we can apply Matthew 7, 15 to 23 to our lives today when we're listening to a preacher on the radio, television, or even in our own pulpit. If the individual is stating a message contrary to what Jesus Christ had taught, then by his words, his message, his fruit, we may know he's a false teacher and stop listening. This is commonly evident in the Mormon and Jehovah Witness cults who teach that Jesus is either the created spirit brother of Satan, the Mormons, or the created Michael the Archangel, Jehovah Witnesses. And by their teaching their fruit, you will know them, false teachers. You see, it's my belief that apart from presuppositions and eisegesis or putting your thoughts into scripture, a simple, literal, contextual reading of Matthew 7 will not teach a genuine Christian will be known by their works, but rather a false teacher will be known by their message. Thanks for listening. We pray this ministry glorifies God and edifies you, the listener. For more great content, including videos, blogs, newsletters, and a free ebook, check out our website at c4capologetics.weekly.com. You can also email us at c4capologetics at gmail.com with questions or ideas for future episodes. We truly appreciate you. Please like, share, and comment on this episode, and don't forget to subscribe for future episode notifications. Thanks for checking in, and remember to be bold and keep contending for Christ.